0: Hello, and welcome to a bonus episode of Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. If this is your first time listening, Anthology is one man's examination of the Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer. Each podcast, I review one episode of Rod Serling's iconic series, but with season four of Black Mirror premiering like two years ago, um, <laughs> about, well, a little over a year ago, um, on Netflix, I'm covering each episode of the last season, the l- latest season of Charlie Brooker's Anthology sci-fi series in this bonus episode series. Series. You can find more of Anthology at anthologypod.com, and for a full episode archive, including my bonus episodes uh, covering Black Mirror's first three seasons, go to anthologypod.com archive. And if you want to contact me, you can use the Facebook page at facebook.com anthologypod, tweet me at ovanthologypod, or send me an email at matt at obsessiveviewer.com. And if you'd like what you hear and you want to support the podcast, please head over to iTunes and leave a rating and a review. The more ratings I get and the more reviews I get, the easier it will be for my show to stand out in the crowd of podcasts that are out there. Uh, there's quite a few. Um, and finally, if you want to show your support with your wallet, you can do that by clicking the Donate button on AnthologyPod.com or by visiting Patreon.com slash ObsessiveViewer to set up recurring donations – any and all donations made will help pay the fees to keep the podcast running and are greatly appreciated. And if you subscribe to us on Patreon and support us on Patreon, you'll get access to a, uh, to an exclusive RSS feed with bonus content recorded specifically for patrons. Um, yeah, more information can be found at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. So, yeah, that, uh, that runs down everything that I need to say at, at the beginning. Um, uh, today on the show, I will be discussing Metalhead. It's the fifth episode of Black Mirror's fourth season, which premiered on December 29th of 2017 on Netflix. Such a simpler time, 2017. Um, the plot summary, according to, I think, IMDb, I, it's been a while since I made these notes. Um, Uh, The plot description for Metalhead is, In the post-apocalyptic landscape of the Scottish Moors, a woman attempts to survive the land full of dogs. Um, The talent rundown for the episode is Maxine Peake plays Bella, the main uh, protagonist of the movie, or of the episode. Uh, She previously appeared in The Theory of Everything. Um, she was also in the British version of Shameless, the TV show, and she also appeared in Criminal Justice, which was the basis for HBO's uh, limited series The Night Of from a couple years ago. Um, I've always meant to check out Criminal Justice. Um, I think there are a couple of seasons, and last I checked, they were available on Hulu, um, so maybe I'll check that out. Uh, writer for the episode was Charlie Brooker, and, um, I'm gonna read a quote that he had in, in an EW article, um, and I'll link that in the show notes as well. Um, the, uh, his kind of, um, inspiration for this episode was, uh, quote, it was from watching Boston Dynamics videos, but crossed with, have you seen the film All Is Lost? Um, I wanted to do a story where there was almost no dialogue. And with those videos, there's something very creepy watching them where they get knocked over and they look sort of pathetic lying there, but then they slowly manage to get back up. We sort of deliberately decided not to flesh out a lot of the backstory. Originally in my first draft, we also showed a human operator operating the dog robot from across the ocean at his house. There was a bit I liked where he leaves the control unit while the robot is watching her while she's up in the tree and he goes and gives his kids a bath. But it felt a bit weird and too on the nose. It kind of felt superfluous. Uh, We deliberately paired it back and did a very simple story. Um, So that's really interesting. Um, I kind of would have liked to have seen that. I I like that in theory. I kind of agree with him that it would have been a little too on the nose. Also, it kind of would have undercut the feeling that you know, robots are not necessarily taking over the world, but that we have that they, that they're almost sentient in a way like to have it be a human operating. It kind of takes some of the craziness away from it, which I'll get into all that in my review. Uh director for this episode was David Slade. Um This, you know, I'm going to check and see, cause I feel like maybe he may have directed Bandersnatch, but I might be wrong. Let me check. Um. Yes, okay. So at the time this episode was his only episode of uh of Black Mirror. However, he he did direct Bandersnatch. Um so that's cool. Um he uh, also was a director and producer on the TV show Hannibal. He also did uh 30 Days of Night and Hard Candy. So very interesting um, filmography for David Slade. Um, so yeah, so as always, I'm going to go into a spoiler filled review of this episode of Black Mirror. So if you haven't seen uh, Metalhead, stop the podcast, go back and watch it and then come back and check it, check it out. The review. So my initial thoughts of on, uh, on Metalhead were that, first of all, it's a very interesting idea. Um, and Especially for Black Mirror, because Black Mirror doesn't really do any like post-apocalyptic kind of things. Like there was the there was a scene kind of at the end of um, the Waldo moment where it's kind of like you see the Waldofication of of the world and society a little bit, but I don't know. And then like even when they, they do kind of a post-apocalyptic kind of thing, it's contained to like 15 million merits where it's like this authoritarian society or whatever. Um, but it's, it is a society and everything. We haven't seen a black mirror episode by my count where society has crumbled this severely. So on that end, it's a very interesting idea And the choice to make it in black and white was just visually beautiful, like, um, visually beautiful and really accentuates the feeling of, uh, complete despair in the loneliness of, of the characters because they're completely alone. Uh, there's something about black and white that has this loneliness feel to it that I think really, uh, helps out in the, in the episode, uh, and in telling the story. Um, and my, uh, to round up my initial thoughts, the reveal of the Terry, the, the, the reveal of the teddy bear at the end is heartbreaking, but I, I felt like it wasn't as heartbreaking as it probably would have been, had they developed more backstory for the survivors group, um, uh, which I'll get into in the review. But to actually go into my actual review, um, yeah, I'll just, I'll just dive right in. So I, first off, the introduction of the group, um, in the car, you see it's kind of just desolate and everything. Um, you see Bella, take a, uh, like eat some candy, which I thought I, for some reason, I was so convinced that that was going to come into play later, but it, it didn't. And I kind of liked the element of having that because it kind of felt like she, that that's the one thing that, you know, they can allow themselves is at least they have candy. Um, and then there's an exposition dump about the dogs and pigs and everything that I feel like that, line of dialogue and that that kind of exposition dump is really well done and it cleverly conceals uh the fact that they're talking about machines as well so first of all it's it's the way to do exposition like it's communicating to us that there's something there's something called dogs in this world that that are a threat um and we don't know what it is and the way it conceals the fact that it, that they're talking about machines kind of reminds me of the way that the roaches are referred to in men against fire. Um, we don't know what they are until we see them. And I, I like that. Um, so we're kind of brought into this world where Bella and her, her friends are on kind of a mission to get something. And the way that I love the way the dialogue is set up in this, in this uh, scene and in this sequence, because it's intentionally misleading us like, Oh, there are dogs and dogs took care of all the pigs or killed all the pigs. And then, um, and then you get the, the line where, uh, they're saying that it's hopeless and that it's, it's that the entire mission is just completely useless because quote, he's dying anyways, he's got days. And I just, I love that. I love how it communicates that, like the reason for them doing it, it misleads us into thinking that they're, trying to get like medicine or something. That's what I initially thought when I first saw it was that they were trying to get medicine or something that could, that could help save, save someone's life. Um, And it just really communicates just how hopeless this world is and how useless the mission is for them. Um, Yeah, it's, it's just, it's really a good way to bring us into the story and, uh, I did find myself kind of wondering what function the dogs had in everyday life. Um, I, I don't think the show really explains it, but I, I kind of, and I mean, to that end, like, what's the point of the Boston dynamics, uh, robots, uh, just creating robots. I'm not, I'm not sure. I, am sure that they have way like things that they're, they can be utilized to do and everything, but I, I don't know. Um, I just couldn't figure out like what their purpose was. Um, also it's worth mentioning that when, when they're going into the warehouse and and the guy's in the van and he's hacking into the van, um, I meant to look up exactly what the Easter eggs said, but like there's in the like code and everything there was, uh, Easter Easter eggs hidden in the code for Redditors. Like it said something like, hi Reddit or something. Um, because like people on the internet love to, uh dissect every single frame and and pause it and read what everything says so that's kind of a cheeky like thing for them to do um i do want to highlight as i'm going through this episode that the score is absolutely astounding um the music is great it fe- it makes it feel like a horror movie uh, since there's little dialogue. It's an open and creepy location and it's shot in black and white. All of that works together to feel like a horror movie. But I think that the, um, that the musical, the music score, the score, the music that scores the film uh, is just really kind of the icing on the cake. It has this, this feel that it's, it's just more propulsive than, uh, than anything. It's just haunting. Um, and yeah, so they're going through the warehouse and the reveal of the dog is super effective. Um, because of the music, uh, there's a sharp change in the music. It's a kind of a piercing strings in the score and that works so well to freak the viewer out. It's a little bit of a jump scare, but it's just, it's so, so effective, especially since this is our first reveal of the dog. And like, it's like, for lack of a better reaction, it's not a dog. It's a robot. Um, I just, I just love that reveal. It's kind of hiding behind a box. Um, and then in conjunction with all that, the seeing the actual movement of the dog is just really chilling and, and really creepy. And I, and I feel like, and I haven't been able to corroborate this or I, I never corroborated this, but I feel like the black and white, um, Uh, visual, uh, being shot in black and white means that there's plenty of room for more gore, uh, because the shot of the dog blowing the guy's head off is freaking amazing. And I feel like that, I feel like the black and white kind of allows them to do that because they're not preoccupied with, you know, the color of the blood and everything. Um, and making it look hyper realistic when it's in black and white, like there's not, too much that needs to be done, um, in terms of colorization and everything. And, uh, also the gore in the van, like I just, it's just so brutal and everything. And I, and I also love that the score just stops when the guy in the van is killed. Um, it's, it's great. And then couple all that with the dog's design and the way it moves, it's so creepy and, it's so weird because it's such by all accounts it's a small little robot on four legs like it shouldn't be that formidable it shouldn't be that terrifying but there's something about its movements and how there's a way that the, that this episode captures how for lack of a better word the dog thinks and the way that we the way that the the way that the episode communicates that to us and shows like the the thought process the logic that, uh, the dog is following just makes it so creepy and unsettling and makes it such a formidable opponent for Bella in the, in the episode. It's just so chilling and terrifying. Um, having said all of that, um, it being able to drive the van was kind of silly. (laughs) Um, like, I mean, it makes it... (laughs) it takes the opponent or it takes the adversary aspect of the dog into overpowered territory. Like it's, it becomes a little too smart for it. And I get it. It's like, it's, it's a robot, like it's programmed and like you can, it can do things with its programming or what have you. Um, but it just, it felt a little bit like that bit of, it was a bit of a stretch. Um, but I mean, I guess since we kind of have self-driving cars now, it's not that crazy to think of, but it's just, I I don't know. Um, it's just, it's, it was kind of silly to me, but the actual chase scene was really effective and, and terrifying, uh, as well. Cause Bella's trying to get away and like the freaking van is ramming her and everything. It's really effective. Um, and again, I just, I love how much is communicated through the visuals in this episode. It's so like, I just, I adore this episode for that reason. Like we know the dog can track her because we see the blinking light on the pellet of from her leg and, uh, we see the dog's POV and we just see like so much is communicated. Like I said, we see the logic of the dog as he's pursuing Bella through visual cues that, that, it's not, it, like, there's no exposition needed. There's no explanatory dialogue that's needed in, in this, uh, episode because it's all told through visuals and I just really appreciate this episode for that reason. Um also speaking of the dog's POV and everything uh as it's tracking Bella um this is just apropos of nothing but it reminds me of detective mode in the Batman Arkham games um especially when it shows kind of the blinking uh, blinking circle of where she is and the blood trail like leading the dog there um i just i that was a connection i made when i watched the episode and uh i do uh, it was interesting because i i One, one of the times I rewatched, I've watched this episode several times, but one of the times I rewatched it was the night after I watched Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid for the first time. And what I was struck with when I, when I saw Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is that there were like the whole movie is them being pursued by a posse and like, there's such a cool, um, there are so many cool shots of them seeing the posse in the distance and that, that makes it so, um, the tension's so real that they are in pursuit and they're exhausted from being in pursuit and they can see their pursuers, but it's, it's distant enough to where it's not like they're immediately threatened by it, if that makes sense. Um, and I feel like that kind of comes across a little bit with this episode too. Like there are shots of Bella seeing the dog from a distance that just reminds me of that technique in Butch Cassidy. And I kind of wonder if that was intentional or if that was like an intentional, um, I don't know if I'd say homage or an influence or, or what, but I just thought that that was an interesting parallel to make, especially since I watched this episode immediately after, or the next day after watching Butch Cassidy. So I thought that was interesting. And there's, there's kind of a, there's kind of a way that I felt like the dog, uh, you can kind of read it as the dog being able to recognize that it's tracker was taken out of Bella. Um, like that, like, okay, you can program a robot to, <laughs> this is so stupid. You can lead a robot to water, but you can't make them jump in. But, um, <laughs> but like the robot is programmed to behave a certain way, but, the idea of the dog being able to recognize that the tracker was, is not, is no longer in Bella Like that is, that's a level of sentient like thought that brings on another level of creepiness to the, to the episode, I think. Um, yeah. And so the, the episode itself in general, like the, the filmmaking of this episode does a really good job of, managing the situation like having bella's leg injured the way that it does uh the way that it happens it takes out a lot of the well why wouldn't she do this kind of complaints it's like well why didn't she do go this way or do this thing or how why didn't she behave this well because she's injured and she's losing blood and she's she's frantic like it's it's not like the logic of her actions follow a very uh they follow they they track well So there's a extended sequence where Bella is in the tree and she is kind of just lying in wait, um, as the dog is, uh, just at the bottom of it. Um, first of all, there's this really cool shot of the dog from, from, uh, in that scene where it makes it looks like it's about to spring, like spring up and get her. Uh, that was very menacing and, and cool. Um, and so throughout the night, she's dropping, um, I think it was bits of bark from the, or maybe rocks. I'm not sure. Um, or, oh no, no, no. It was candy. God, I'm sorry. So she was dropping the candy onto the dog. And I do appreciate that that came into play, uh, that that was like kind of seeded early in the, in the episode. Uh, I thought it was going to come across, like, I thought it was going to come into play and like the candy affecting her. Uh, her judgment or something like it was like actually poisoned or some something weird like that. I don't know what. I don't know why exactly I was thinking that, but I just had that feeling. Um, and so the dog is is solar powered, and she's dropping the candy on the dog so that it would reactivate and hopefully use up its battery. And I just thought that was really clever. And again, it's something that is not communicated to us directly because it's just one character acting against a robot. Like it is all visually told to us. And I just really appreciated that. Um, so yeah, so I just, and also another thing that I really loved about this episode is the way that you really feel how empty the world is and how alone Bella is when you see the dog running after her in that wide open area. Um, it's just, it's so like you get the sense that these, that Bella and the dog are the only two things in like the world. It's just, it's so desolate and, and affecting. Um, And then we get to the scene where Bella goes to the house. She goes into a house and she's trapped with the dog coming after her, um, at the house. So that slightly reminds me of the scene in hated in the nation with the bees and the safe house. Um, I mentioned in my review of hated in the nation that it felt very Hitchcockian and kind of reminded me of the birds, um, kind of got that same, same vibe from this, um, as she's kind of, she's in the house and she's trapped with the dog. (laughs) Um, and also the design of the house reminded me a lot of the house in Crocodile. And I kind of wondered if it was the same one. Um, but I couldn't find a way that uh, – I couldn't, I couldn't find if that was the case or not. Um, as she's going through the house, she does find some dead bodies. Um, that reminded me of one of my favorite movies, 28 Days Later. Um, 28 Days Later, uh, Jim – the main character played by Killian Murphy goes to his parents' house and he finds his parents. Um, that was a lot less gruesome than this. Um, because, uh, these, the dead bodies she finds were, you know, a shotgun was, was, uh, there and they used a shotgun on them. Um, in, in that case, like it's a, it's good world building to see that it's like, um, there's something so disturbing about the way that Bella takes the shotgun, not, not necessarily in the way that she does it, but there's something disturbing about Bella taking the shotgun, loading it with a shell and just knowing that, you know, her using a firearm that was last used to end a person's life with a self inflicted shot. Like that just has like this weird, like energy to it, this atmosphere to the world, like it, it, to the world building of this episode that I thought was really just really good and, and made me feel uneasy. I, I really enjoyed that in a weird way. Um, and then after this moment, we get kind of like the one, one of the one parts of the, of the episode where I was just kind of down on it. Um, she's kind of cleaning herself off while the dog gets in, uh, gets into the house. It was kind of boring to me, that whole sequence. Like she's, she's just kind of cleaning up and then we see the dog kind of problem solving, getting into the house, like I don't know, just it just felt like we already got enough of the, uh, we got enough of like the um, action, I guess, for lack of a better word, um, being kind of subdued in like her getting to the house and her getting the shotgun and everything. Like all of that has been very much just kind of subdued ever like everything after the tension of the dog chasing her earlier in the episode. And it, the episode kind of doubles down on that by having this scene where she's cleaning up and, and the dog is trying to get in. It just kind of felt like I started to, my attention started to wane just a little bit there. Um Although I will say that the show did a pretty admirable job of selling her potential safety. Um Like the gate around the house and the house itself, they all look very secure. And even though we've seen the dog, drive a van. Um, I, I didn't really, I couldn't really tell how the dog was going to get, um, into the house and, uh, having the dog just easily get access into the house was, uh, a good way to kind of up the tension and bring my attention back to the, back to the action. And then there's a scene where, and this, this was like the most disturbing thing, Uh, in a weird way, this was like the most disturbing part of the entire episode for me. The dog gets the knife, like the dog getting the knife and spinning it on its like little robotic, uh, uh, leg. Um, first of all, like it's spinning the knife reminded me of sunshine. Um, one of my favorite movies from 2007 with, uh, I've reviewed it on the podcast, but, uh, yeah, I just, I loved that. It's funny that. Something in this episode reminded me of both Twenty Eight Days Later and Sunshine. Uh, both were directed by Danny Boyle and written by Alex Garland. Um, that's interesting. I kind of wonder if that's intentional or, Huh. anyway. Um, just seeing that, seeing the dog with the knife and spinning it on on the leg was just so unsettling to me. I just, it just, it. I don't know. It made me just feel really tense. And at that point, the episode kind of takes on this home invasion slasher movie vibe, uh, once he has the knife. And there's this, like, rhythmic sound of the dog walking up the stairs and down the hall that that kind of felt very much evocative of, like, movies like Halloween and, like, kind of disturbing, like, slasher movies that are all about tension building and everything. Um, and I like that Bella's, is, you know, Bella is, uh, formidable with this. Like like she's, she's doing her best. Um, she lures the dog out with the music and I, I love that. And I really liked the way that she utilized the paint on it to kind of blind it. Uh, I thought that was really clever. And so when she's outside with the car and the dog, um, after luring it in, uh, The, the, the the episode goes into slow motion and as she's, as she's shooting at the, the dog and everything, and it's the slow motion and the score is like building up to a crescendo. Um, so cool. And it's so great. And it's so, um, disheartening and tragic because then you hear the dog whirring back to life and, that that moment, you know that it was all for nothing and just like just so brutal. Um, and then we get the scene with her in the bathroom again, kind of cleaning up. And then she finds the tracker in her neck and we see we see the moment where she loses her resolve. And like that's the moment where she's she knows she's done for. Um, and it's just it's heartbreaking. And the episode ends with this very somber music playing that's coupled with this overhead shot. That's tracking the path back to the warehouse. Um, and then we get the big reveal that is just so such a gut punch. Uh, the reveal that all of this, everything that was, that was going on in this episode was all to get a teddy bear and that teddy bear, like you play it back and think, okay, well, well, it's for a kid and he's dying and he needs that he like, they're trying to get the teddy bear just to make him more comfortable. And that's just so freaking tragic. Um, I, I love it. It's a real, it's a revelation that just kind of brings home the despair of the entire episode. It's just, it's so great. Um, I, I was really, I was really affected by that. Um, even though in, you know, I was affected by it even though afterwards I kind of thought like, well, maybe if they had have developed the backstory a little bit more, it would be even more emotional, but like seeing it again, like just, it just, it just hits, just, it strikes such a chord that I kind of forgive it for not, I forgive the episode for not developing the survivors group or anything. Um so yeah, so kind of my overall thoughts on, Metalhead is that I kind of feel like the episode kind of gets the short end of the black mirror season four stick. Um, stylistically it is unlike any other episode of the show thus far. That's including Bandersnatch. Uh, the story is straightforward without being over encumbered by backstory and exposition in the exposition exposition. It does have is really, really well done and well-written. Um, in it, in it manages to pack an emotional gut punch with the teddy bear. Um, just, the idea again of this episode, the entire episode being built around this mission to get something for a dying child who has days left to live and the thing they're risking and ultimately giving their lives for is something that would make the, something that wouldn't uh, save the kid, but instead would make the last, the kids last days just more bearable. Uh, No, no pun intended. Um, the re- revelation that the te- that it's a teddy bear is just gut-wrenching, and it makes me think of a kid who's living in this horrible reality, and his only comfort is a teddy bear. And I kind of get this – I'm inferring from it that somehow he loses that teddy bear when also becoming gravely ill – and his aunt decides to risk her life to get a teddy bear for him to comfort him in his last days. It's so bleak, so tragic, and just so sad. And it's so black mirror. <laughs> it is such a black mirror thing to do. And I just, I really appreciated the episode for it. And I kind of find myself championing the episode because when people talk about season four of black mirror, they kind of think, well, you know, metalhead or they kind of, I kind of, I don't know if I'd say it's the consensus, but I feel like the show, like this particular episode gets a bad rap because it's in black and white and it's more, more horror based than a lot of episodes of the, of the show. And I feel like that can kind of alienate some viewers, but I really appreciate and respect how out there this episode was and how just really effective uh, and engaging the storytelling was. Like I said, this episode has some phenomenal storytelling through just using the visual medium of film in such a unique way and, in communicating to us so much with just visuals is just remarkable. And I really appreciate it. And I thought that black and white was a very good touch, uh, really brought in the despair of the, story that we watched unfold. So, wow. So that was my review of metalhead. That's my first anthology review, um, in a year. So that's so awesome. Um, I hope I did this episode justice. And I, if you have any thoughts on the episode, feel free to contact me. Uh, once again, Facebook, Twitter, uh, facebook.com slash anthology pod, Twitter at OV anthology pod or at obsessive viewer. Um, yeah so yeah if you like what you've heard and uh if you like what you've heard here uh make sure you check out my other shows um uh, from and my other podcast from obsessive Uh, you can find those podcasts at obsessive viewer.com slash podcasts. Uh, I have obsessive viewer and tower junkies about Stephen King and the dark tower. And if you want to support the show, the easiest way to do that once again is by leaving a rating and a quick review on iTunes. You can also donate to the podcast through PayPal by clicking the donate button on anthologypod.com or by visiting patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. So next time on the podcast here in a couple days, fingers crossed, uh, I'll be finishing up, finishing up my season four bonus review series of Black Mirror. Um, I'm going to be reviewing Black Museum. Um, super, super excited to talk about that episode and, uh, hopefully get some thoughts from you guys about what you thought of Black Mirror season four, you know, from a year and two months ago. Um, yeah. So having said that uh thank you guys so much for listening and uh feels good to be back and hope you guys enjoy having me in your ear holes again which is a weird thing to say so i'm so sorry uh thank you guys so much for listening and i'll see you next time
1: Anthology is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to anthologypod.com slash archive. You can also like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod and follow the show on Twitter at OVAnthologypod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. Official Anthology merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, can be found in the Obsessive Viewer's Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at anthologypod.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at TeePublic.com. For information about the Obsessive Viewer's annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out ShocktoberinIrvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to ObsessiveViewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, the Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at ObsessiveViewer.com, and on Twitter, at ObsessiveViewer. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and co-host Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower Series. Over at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at The SecularPerspective.com. Bumper music for this podcast comes courtesy of As Good as It Gets, which can be found at Facebook.com As Good as It Gets Band. You can also find As Good As It Gets music on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.